Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number 38, and I am joined, as always, by Maggie, though also, as always of late, in a new strange location. <laughs> in a weird spot with bad lighting. So, hey. <laughs> Maggie, I'm still Maggie is still living laws, the strange, vagrant life I am. <laughs> in the midst I'm of her home. my sister-in-law's. I'm in a different room. We'll see how the internet's been spotty. We'll see how this goes. But guys, I have a house, so I should yeah. be in it next week. But I don't know if it's going to be Wi-Fi next week, so I might still be here next week. <laughs> right. So <laughs> still the the transition goes on, but uh, you know Maggie continues to persevere despite all of the the sort of chaos of her living conditions right now. But um, anyway, we're mostly glad that you. One uh, day I'll write a story about it. You have a destination now, so that's good. That's good. Yes. Yes, I will awesome. have a home, and I will someday write a story about this. It's 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 been epic. It's been my own little epic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, at least yeah, thrilled I am, to be uh, here. Yes, yes. I'm glad that you are with us, and we we will enjoy as much of you as we get this afternoon, and uh, see how we do. Um, and very glad, of Thanks, course, Jay. that your story seems to be looking to come to a triumphant end here uh, as we uh, move into it. So. No, if you if you jinx this, we're done. So <laughs> right, understood, understood. Anyway, let's move on. So <laughs> um, today, I wanted to. I want so this past week, this past weekend, um, I was at the Zenkai Con in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, anime convention where they invited me to come and talk about Tolkien. Yes, I was in. I was in your hometown, Maggie. It was fun. Yeah, um, born and raised. Yeah, you know, it was, was interesting. I realized when I got there that I'd never actually, I've been to Lancaster a whole bunch of times, but I've never actually been, like, in the city part, like, downtown. You know, I was, I was downtown, in the and down, Yeah. And downtown when I was growing up was, like, not a thing. Downtown right. in the last 10 years, like, downtown's been on so many nationwide lists now, like, best places to live and best farmer's markets, which... You were 20 feet from, but never got I to was see 20 feet. the convention center. From the greatest yeah, farmer's Lancaster's market. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never this got city. to go. Close oh, next time. PM. Holy cow. Anyway, but yeah, no, it was, I never got there. But um, anyway, it was, it was, that was really cool. Um, uh, so, but while I was there, so I was, I was invited to come and speak at uh, ZenkaiCon with the intention of kind of providing more like cross fandom opportunities for all the folks. Again, it's primarily an anime and science fiction con, uh, uh, con and, um, but there were a lot of people who were excited to talk about Tolkien and that was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, I did a lot of adaptation talk. I didn't actually like set out with that in like, it wasn't really a strategy, but when I actually sat down with like all of my different panel topics, um, I was like, man, I'm not only am I just like doing a lot of adaptation discussion, I'm doing a really interesting progression of adaptation discussion. And in particular, on the first day, I did two panels. One panel was talking about the Rings of Power, and the second panel was talking about what to expect from the War of the Rohirrim uh, that we're getting uh, next year. And this led me to reflect on something which I wanted to bring up because I think a lot of people are thinking about it. A lot of people have been excited or interested or possibly confused about the news of like, oh, there's going to be new Lord of the Rings films that are going to be produced. Um, and so many people have been saying, you know, a lot of people have been reacting as if this is enormous news. And it's right. possible that it's enormous news, but I don't think it's enormous. It doesn't sound like enormous news to me. Um, 
because it's something that we've sort of known. But I, but, but I think that there's a, a kind of a big story here um, that, uh, that I think maybe a lot of people might not be aware of. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of bring that out because it really struck home to me when I was talking about these things in the same day um, at the conference last weekend. And that is, okay, so there are basically now, after the sale of the film rights that happened last year, um, there are now two different groups who own production rights. Right. There's there, there's the set of rights that Amazon signed and there's the set of rights, the sort of traditional set of rights that was just per purchased by the Embracer group. And the chief difference between them, um, as far as is known, and I haven't heard anything to the contrary, um, the chief difference between them is not what they cover. They cover the same material, the same Tolkien material. The difference is the medium or like the storytelling medium, the, the production medium. Amazon specifically purchased in the in the rings I mean the the deal which has led first and foremost to the rings of power, um, and I see no reason to think it's not going to lead to other things after this. They bought the streaming TV rights for the Tolkien stuff, and the other contains the video game rights, which is very important, um, but also for the purposes of this discussion, the film rights, the feature film rights, and of course the interesting thing was that those film rights were out there on the open market. Amazon could have yeah. purchased them at that time. And many assumed they would. Many assumed that they were going to double yeah. down and like dominate the, you know, Tolkien franchise. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all sort of suspect that they could have done so if they had wanted to. I don't think they were merely outbid uh, by the Embracer Group, especially since the price that the Embracer Group paid is, like, for instance, significantly less than Disney paid for Star Wars, for instance. So I don't think that Amazon just flat got outbid, right? Um, no. So... They seem to have made it, and this connects with you know, Maggie. Remember conversations that uh, th comments made by um, the executive producer team um, back in London when we met them in May, when they were talking about you know how how they felt and how Amazon seemed to feel that the future of entertainment was in streaming TV and not in feature film, um, and that seems to me yeah, to be a really big part of that. Yeah, and if you guys forget that bit, sorry if you hear noise, my dog's chewing a bone next to me. Um, but that was really uh, striking to me when they were talking about the movies that they had pitched and they told us some of them were just incredible films. But every studio was basically like, yeah, that's a great idea, but we're not going to pay that much. It's going to cost too much and it has to fit within a 90 minute thing and it has to da 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 da. And they were basically like, in order to tell the story we wanted to tell, we needed around 50 hours to do it. So for them, it was more about like the art form didn't fit the story anymore. So right. I just thought it was right. a really refreshing way to look at streaming versus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And again, the the external evidence suggests that Amazon is not interested in film and is content to go in the streaming TV direction. And so when the when the news, I always feel like putting news in air quotes, because again, it, we, so we knew that the film rights were there, 
we knew that Embracer purchased them, and therefore we suspected they didn't purchase them for no reason, right? That if they purchased them, they did so with the intention of making films, and that those films would be within the context of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, which is all that those rights ever covered, right? So when the, when, when the air quotes news broke that, like, more Lord of the Rings films are going to be coming, I was like, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, those are going to be coming. Um, and that Warner Brothers is maintaining their connections with that seems to be part of why they were putting out the War of the Rohirrim anyway. Um, so it's, it, I was very puzzled by the fact that it was being trotted out as like a major news item. Now, of course, a lot of people, you know, aren't necessarily tracking with the, like the sale of the rights, you know, might've gone beneath the radar of a lot of people. And a lot of people misunderstood the news to be declaring that like a reboot of the Lord of the Rings films themselves were going to be released. And there was no indication that I could see that that was the case. Um, uh, nor, I mean, based on what we're seeing in the War of the Rohirrim, does that even seem to be the plan? Right. Um, and uh, the thing, you know, Maggie, I was thinking about what you were saying, just about the same thing you were just talking about, about storytelling format and stuff. Um, when you look at the War of the Rohirrim uh, coming out next year and the Rings of Power, I think it's a it's a wonderful kind of illustration of the different modes. Right. Um, and it's why I kind of love the fact that there's both. Right. Um, so the, the War of the Rohirrim is going to basically tell a short story, like an episode, the Helm Hammerhand episode from, from the history of Rohan, which like, I think for so long feature film has tried to be the like video equivalent of the novel. And it's not the video equivalent of the novel. Like you've got to, you've got to mutilate a novel to compress it to the scope of storytelling space that you have in a feature film. Um, I mean, ask anybody who's seen The Order of the Phoenix, for instance, about the kind of mutilation oh. I am speaking of. Which we should also totally do for an episode. Yes. Yeah. 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 Controversially, it's a, it's... that's one of my, I think that's my favorite film and my favorite book. So. Yes. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, but um, uh, anyway, the point is, like, you have to do a lot of rushing and hurrying or cutting in order to squeeze a full-length novel into a feature film. Um, but what and we're for seeing... some people, that's... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, totally jumping no, no. in, but for some people, that's that's a real wonderful challenge. You know, I know right. a lot of filmmakers that see the 120 minutes and go, game on. You know, where is our climax going to be? Where is the falling action? Where is the instigating action? Like, where are all these points? And it's like a puzzle and a math problem, but creatively. Creatively. Whereas other people are more like this, I'll tell the story I want to tell exactly how I want to tell it. And I think they're still aware of those points, but right. to have the fluidity to make a 44-minute episode and then a 56-minute episode and then a 35 you know, like Mandalorian yeah. we're watching now, and those episodes range from 36 minutes to, what, an hour and six minutes, something like that. That's a huge mm -hmm. range, right. but it does what that creative team wants that story to do. So to have right. that flexibility, I think, is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so yeah, when you look at when you look at the Rings of Power, when you compare the Rings of Power and the War of the Rohirrim, just in the scope of story that they're trying to tell, it feels to me like both of these kinds of uh, visual storytelling genres are kind of finding their place. Right, the Rings of Power is trying to do this big sweeping second age epic. Right, um, 
because they have 50 hours in which in which to do it right it's a 50 hour story whereas the war of the rohirrim is very they're going back to one salient episode like what would be a really i'm mean, not saying you couldn't do a novel length version of the story of helm hammerhand you could but you could also do a really good short story version right i mean it's a it's a it's a much more compact story that I think will fit very well into a feature film and be real you know it really allow you to get in and dig into details and stuff um, and that's a really wonderful frame and if this if if the War of the Rohirrim is any kind of indicator of the direction that the fe- the future feature films are going to be going like let's go back and cherry pick like th- really interesting third age stories like stories from the history of the third age and do uh, really cool, especially within the... I, I love what seems to be the frame concept, right, with Miranda Otto voice acting Eowyn, presumably an older Eowyn. So that suggests a storytelling frame, right, with older Eowyn telling the story to her children, perhaps in Athelion, uh, right, about the history of Rohan. Uh, and this is the story of Helm Hammerhand. Um, um, yeah, so having, um, having a bunch of other... Um, uh, having a bunch of other stories like that, which you could easily do from the history of Rohan, from the history of Gondor, from Arnor. From, I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's a whole long series of really interesting stories, which could even be framed similarly from that like early Fourth Age uh, perspective. Um, that's a really cool choice. Whereas, again, streaming enables you to do a whole... Um, so like if I were, you know, I, I think that Helm Hammerhand is great for feature film, I think that um, the uh, streaming TV would be way better for like the story of the rise and fall of Arnor. You know, that would be, that would be a really cool story, but um, it would be, I think that would be better in streaming format and the long, you know, the sort of the more long form storytelling mode. Um, So it just, it really struck me when I was thinking through these things this past weekend, how we're not only entering into a season of, what is certain to be increased Tolkien adaptation content and increased variety of Tolkien adaptation content um, over the course of the next 10 years. But the sort of dueling formats, right, with one production company, Amazon Studios, owning the rights to streaming and another production company owning the rights to feature films and to see how those two um, different kind of formats uh, work out and compete with each other, and I have, uh, I have a shrewd theory here as well. This is just a theory. This is a guess of my own. No inside information. I always feel like I have to specify that. Um, everyone's wondering: Are the Silmarillion rights ever going to get sold? Right? Are we ever going to see Silmarillion material? And I think we certainly will. I mean, I've always said the Silmarillion will not be depicted for, will only be depicted for, you know, will only be adapted for for film after, you know, over Christopher Tolkien's dead body. But that preliminary condition having been met, I do believe that it is going to happen. And, um, but it's not happened yet. And I'm wondering, one of the things that I wonder is if the Tolkien estate isn't watching this same thing that we're talking about here. Oh, we've got the feature Best films the being produced over there, the streaming stuff being produced over there, and that they're going to hold off and see how does this pan out? How does this work? How do people respond? Um, which story is one storytelling mode 
definitely working better than others? Are th- w- will it help them to get a sense of what would be best to put, you know, maybe even to split them up in different places? You know, let's have some feature films. Let's have some uh, some streaming stuff. Um, uh, it's not necessarily a let's see who does a better job and which one we like better and then we'll choose them. I, I suspect they're thinking about it a little bit more broadly um, than that. I haven't. I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, I, I definitely thought about the the streaming versus film side of things, but was really just curious in that practice in and of itself is like a social experiment of like, won't it be interesting for all of us to observe this? And I'm really yeah. curious about how the two companies are going to function alongside each other. So timing and things like that, like, you know, there's, there's a huge, um, I don't even know if it's a fan theory anymore. I feel like it's pretty well proven that DC and Marvel had this uh, tit-for-tat relationship that when a uh, trailer dropped on a Wednesday, Marvel would have one on a Friday or vice versa. So they really just kind of eked each other on. So I do wonder if there's going to be something along those lines with this. Well, ours is coming out this season. Oh, it happens to be on the same day as yours or whatever. Just kind of go to it and see how that goes. But following through story-wise and success-wise and audience-wise, where is the future of this this kind of storytelling going? Knowing that you're holding on to a story that wants to be told. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a nice perspective to be in. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that if the Tolkien estate like is thoughtful about this, we, it could be, it could be very interesting. And, um, you know, I, yeah. Anyway, so we'll, um, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but I just wanted to kind of this this these this train of thought was sort of interesting when I was it really hit me when I was because um, when I was talking about the Rings of Power on my first panel over the weekend and you know, we we're talking about the Rings of Power and at the end I was just sort of talking about I mentioned the division between the feature films and the the licensing for the feature films and the and the, and the streaming and then when I came back to talk about the War of the Road here I was like. And now here we are talking about the other side of that question. And it, it just really right. kind of bore it home uh, the way in which this is really likely uh, to come about. Um, and I do hope, as um, as someone was saying, uh, uh, David uh, on, uh, Purdy on, on, uh, on YouTube was just saying, uh, he said, I hope the, the competition between Amazon and Warner Brothers just makes both products better. And I agreed. Absolutely. Exactly. I mean, um, yeah. in, in some ways, I think... Um, there's of course a lot of opportunity for confusion and whatnot, you know, for um, like if like two different in universe versions are like competing with each other and it gets really like messed up and confusing for everybody, you know, that's going to be a challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that in some ways it's a nifty kind of, I don't want to call it a safeguard, but it's a nifty kind of feature that, there are, in fact, two competing uh, services, both of which are, uh, you know, will be, will have this extra uh, motivation to, um, uh, to to really excel. So, mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, the main thing I remember from the stories that came out at that time when everybody decided this was a new story was about the cost of it, too. So, just really interesting to see where you know people are putting their money where their mouth is kind of a thing like there wasn't a lot of money there so what are we going to see like what what budget's going to go behind it who's going to be in charge of it is it going to be big names is it going to be no names not that i'm questioning the quality because i think you can have really fantastic stories with no name actors and or lesser known i mean we saw some wonderful performances of rings of power with people i wasn't familiar with beforehand 
and Jackson's trilogy. Um, yeah. But I do think it'll be really interesting to just kind of see how these two develop. But having that one be a lower ticket price, Amazon seemingly wasn't interested, meaning is film not what they're interested in? It's not the future. We'll see. But it's going to be neat to see what they do with these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Druid's yeah. Fire, that's a real good point. Thinking about how the MCU had to bend over backwards to ignore characters they didn't have rights to. But some of that creativity also created some of the best storylines I think we've had and some really inventive thinking on all parts about how to mess with timelines and characters and how to work around these things. And that's terrifying for those of us that love original texts, but that's yeah. also really exciting for those of us that yeah. love good stories. And those two people right. can exist in the same human. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not going to, I, I don't know if it was perfectly successful, but I, and I forget the title of it too. They all, the titles all run together in my head. The Spider-Man movie with the three spider-men oh, oh man. the, yeah the most recent one far from yeah. home yeah 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 or whatever that was like loved genius it. that is genius i loved it absolutely yeah. and they're little and they're little like tit tat with each other like i realized that was cheesy and very predictable commentary i was there for it like yeah. bring it that's so great completely completely yeah. i was uh i well, yeah. no way home. so that's it yeah no way home. the opportunity of um uh yeah, no way home. Yeah, that was it. Thanks. Um, the opportunity for so, yeah, I, but I, I that's the immediate thing that leapt to my mind, Maggie, when you were just talking about like the stimulus for creativity, right? Um, you know, it's um, sometimes a creative challenge like that. I mean, just think of how Tolkien himself responded in those situations. Um, you know, the the greatest retcon. Tolkien ever did, namely the chapter five of the Hobbit retcon with the Ring of Power once he had changed the identity of the ring. Um, you know, he had came from like the sequel going in a different direction, him painting himself in a corner where the first, where the Hobbit, as it was written and published, did not work anymore. Like, there's no way that Gollum would possibly have acted like that or done what he did in the Hobbit as it was published. And this stimulated Tolkien to just one of the most wonderfully executed and brilliant pieces of retcon in the history of retcon. Um, so, you know, um, it's, uh, um, it can be scary, but it can also yeah. be an opportunity. And like, there's yeah. a really famous uh, or really overused quote of a low budget film. No, a high budget film lets you be creative. A low budget film forces you to be creative. And right that's quite nice in terms of budget but i think it's really similar when you're talking about rights and access to story adaptation is taking a story and reworking it but if you have to fill in the gaps that's a different kind of creativity than adaptation so you have to be originally creative while working within the framework so it's like believable canon within canon within canon right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you have to kind of be able to talk all three of those languages from text to film to new yes Yes. And make it work. So it's the same piece of music in the symphony or whatever, yep. you know, and now it's and, metaphor yeah. reason. And for the record, I think that the Rings of Power did a really interesting job in managing their lack of Silmarillion rights. I, I, I am fascinated. Like the, the Finrod story is one example, um, like the Finrod death scene and everything, the way in which they skirted what they couldn't talk about. Um, and yet they left it open 
you know, they left a hole that shape that fits it so that if they ever were to get the rights to go back and tell that story, it would not be hard to reconcile the two things that they, um, you know, like the actual Silmarillion story and the story that they said. Uh, there were a bunch of places where I thought they did that very cleverly. And like hearing J.D. and Patrick talk about it, I I can only imagine those were actual conversations they had. Oh, yeah. Where I'm they sure. said, well, let's make sure, you know, and yeah. they talked for three hours around every element of that plot and made sure that it yeah. worked. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, no, I, I think um, <laughs> all of this makes me think, Maggie, that our discussions here on Other Minds and Hands are extremely timely because we are facing an explosion of Tolkien adaptation and it is best that people have the opportunity to kind of think through what, what does this mean? How does this work? What is this going to look like? What are different kinds of things that we, you know, that we're going to see happening? Um, you know, how are those going to be related both to the original text and to each other? Um, you know, and how is that all going to be, um, how is that all going to be happening? Um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Meow says she looks forward to yeah, her other minds and hands ten year anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for the for the uh, memory reel when you have this kind of text compared to whatever I finally have when I have a house and a desk and a light and a camera. And... <laughs> right. <laughs> right uh, exactly. No, I think it's going to be really, and that's just the Tolkien adaptation stuff that's happening. There's so much happening right now with all the different worlds that. You know, you see the Disney Plus stuff exploding with all the different storylines we have with Star Wars and the tales that they're telling and the different formats, animated versus film versus series, limited series, one-off things. You know, there's so many things that are working within the same universe that I feel like this format conversation is something we should continue because it's a really important one to think about storytelling. It is. Especially it is. with and, a known and this is, and, I mean, and I will freely admit... One of the reasons I know a lot of people have a strong like, um, you know, strong and immediate like no, you know, Middle Earth cinematic universe. I don't want to see that kind of reaction. I don't share that reaction mostly because this is what I've been not specifically even with Tolkien, but like with storytelling. Um, I, I remember having this conversation back in like 2004 and saying you know, I am so tired of movies, you know, film dominating the landscape. I like film, but it's a very limited story. To I want variety, just exactly like as you're talking about, we see Disney doing with with Star Wars. It's not only that I prefer long form storytelling over short form storytelling in general. So I would rather watch a 50 hour show than a two hour, three hour movie every time. Like it's not it's not just like that's my own personal preference. But even better is that kind of a scope. Right. Um, you know, to have the it's one of my favorite things when I do, as I've done, I think twice uh, now, like a, a full Marvel rewatch. Right. Where you like watch the films in chronological order, interspersed yeah. with like the little extra bits and and things that, you know, came out in between or were placed back in between or, you know, like, uh, you know, the like the little the little uh, short uh, film of like Phil Coulson yeah. on the way to find the hammer and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. You know, like all, all that stuff um, doing all of that. St I mean, it's it's the the kinds of storytelling you can do the the you know, the way you can balance 
you know, the storytelling arc of the individual segment, whether it's a short or whether it's a, um, you know, a whole long series um, and intermingling it with the whole thing. I mean, I, I think it's I, I love that kind of variety in storytelling. And as you say, what um, what Disney is doing with Star Wars, is I, I find really, really interesting, again, with those different kinds yeah. of variety, the different kinds of levels. Let's focus on different, yeah. not only different like characters and different stories, but different kinds of stories and different points in history and um, and all of these things. So um, anyway, that's that's yeah. I, and, I, and also there's in so general, many, I've so been waiting we, for this and I, I love to and see so many it. things we don't know yet either. You know, like when you read one of these contracts about rights and you know, permissions and things like that. It, it usually has a line that's something along the lines of uh, these are the film rights or the story rights, the adaptation rights, and any uh, version that might not yet be invented. Like a lot of rights contracts cover things that we can't yeah. even think about yet because yeah. they didn't know about Netflix 20 years ago right. and, and things right. like that. Or if they did, it didn't look like what it looks like now. Right. So just right. having the forethought to say, things are going to be told in a different way that we're not even sure of yet. And then as like consumers, I never would have thought about something like WandaVision or Loki, you know, like these expanded universe where you get a deeper story of this one thing. So I don't know what I haven't thought about for Lord of the Rings, but you know, we see the popularity of fan fiction. We see the popularity of these, these elements that can fill in a gap or a missed story scene. If you have a budget and talent and, development then you really could create this incredible story about aragorn going to live with the elves as a child i would love that yeah and i will still repeat my pitch for the show that we planned at socal moot in 2020 of what happens in the shire right after frodo leaves right and like telling the entire story of uh, uh, Lobelia and Lotho Sackville Baggins and and uh, you know up through the rise of Sharky man like that was a oh, great story amazing. we had a fantastic yeah. story mapped out there um, and I think it would be a great uh, a great like season of television right there like that would be excellent um, but um, anyway yeah no so there's all kinds of I mean you don't even have to like I was just talking about how uh, on the model of the War of the Rohirrim how you could go back and cherry pick incidents right you could you could cherry pick like really cool moments to feature and do a feature film on but you don't even have to like go for salient moments and or like you know climactic moments in the history of the mm-hmm. third age even just taking um, you know like you could easily make with a really good creative team, you could easily make like a, a really good TV show that starts with uh, Marco and Blanco crossing the Brandywine and colonizing the Shire for the first time. Like mm. the first establishment of the Shire and the, you know, the, the rise of the Shire. Um, that would be that could be a really, really good show if it's done properly, yeah. you know, with with a good uh, with, you know, good producers and good crew. Um so um, anyway, yeah, there's all kinds and those of are the stories and, and those are the stories we know again, you know, it's so like there right. could be something that is, you know, Bubba Fett was a blip in the Star Wars films. He didn't have all this backstory. Right. Um, right. And then and then here we are creating this incredible side series where he gets to feature again, you know, off of this tiny little cult following character that was on screen for like 13 minutes or something total. Right. Right, that's a that's a fabulous example. That's a fabulous yeah. example, um, but um, 
uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we'll you know, we'll see. But this is why we'll I see. am. I cannot get behind people who are like, no, I don't want a middle order cinematic. I'm like, bring it on, man. Like, let's see the stories. Some of them are going to be awesome and it's going to be really interesting. And I mean, I think so much of it, because we've talked about this many times and we will again, but so much of it comes from that, but they have this opportunity. I don't want them to screw it up. Well, neither do I, but some of them are gonna. And (laughs) even if it's a crap story, it's it's not going to change how I feel about the book. The text will still be there. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, It'll be a That's shame what... if they didn't hire us to tell them to how to do it better. But, you know. It's true. It's true. That will yeah. always be the case. <laughs> it will always be a shame. Every time it doesn't happen, it will be a shame. Um, like, but, yeah. Yeah. Only. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah, no, I agree. I don't think that fear, fear of a bad production. And this is something that's just true across the board, too. Like, I kept even just, you know. Recently, I was having more conversations about this. People being like, you know, what, you know, you put a lot of effort into analyzing the Rings of Power, but what, what if it just turns out to be epically bad? And I'm like, so what if it turns out to be It'll, bad? Like, won't that be more fun for analysis? Right. To be I like, will have, wow. like, we'll have been <laughs> analyzing it. And like, what, like, I mean, like, I, I don't for a minute, I don't regret a single minute of the time I spent analyzing the Hobbit films in the lead up to it or during it, just because in yeah. the end, the Hobbit films ended up being bad movies. Um, nor do I feel that, like, you know, it was like, like wrong or bad or disgraceful to have done the analysis. Like it's, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't even understand. I, I have a hard time getting behind the mentality that says like, you know, like just in case they're bad, you want to distance yourself from them. And I'm like, I didn't make them. I'm just talking about them, you know? And like, uh, you know, anyway. Well, and that's the joy of analysis. So like a hundred percent, like it's still going to be fun to go through it no matter what. But I'm still always going to be pissed that the Dark is Rising adaptation was as terrible as it was right. because they right. had an opportunity and a great cast and a great distribution and they mucked it up. So yeah, there's that kind of anger. Like you took the one opportunity for this to be a beautiful story for people to come around and rally and embrace yes. and love and go back to the book and explore and expand. And instead you mucked it up and no one's ever going to touch that again with a barge pole until a radio drama really nails it bbc did but yeah it's yeah i can understand the emotion but you have to find the joy in the analysis yeah yeah exactly exactly um yeah so um yeah yeah um Okay, so, so we're formats. We will keep talking about it. For, we did. We definitely will. We definitely will. But I'm and oh, yeah, one other thing. I, I I remember there was another thing I wanted to add on when you were talking about like formats to be named later, like things that they couldn't anticipate. I'll uh, find that line while like you talk. Yeah. Video games, right? I mean, the video game li- rights were, I mean, basically like uh, you know lawyers. Just, you know, it was decided in courts. Well, I mean, I guess the film rights pretty much should cover that, too. Like, or, you know, rather like somebody wants to do a video game adaptation should fall under those rights, I guess. I mean, that was a court case that was, you know, decided way, way back. Right. Um, uh, When this all when when when, you know, video game adaptations all started. Um, But but yeah, that was not something that was in the rights that Tolkien signed in the sixties, you know, when he, when he signed the film rights, uh, away. Um, so it was, you know, it, it mentions, mentions film, it mentions stage, um, did mention video games, but video games were taken to be 
to taken to be part of that. And of course, now that's a really huge thing. And I still think that that's, mm-hmm. um, although I, you know, I do think that Embracer always planned to make new films when they bought those rights. I think it's the video game rights that they were primarily interested in. That you know, it was one fascinating thing that the rights were purchased by primarily a game a gaming group. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it really kind of shows. I think another little hint in the direction of entertainment in the modern world where the video game rights were shoehorned into the film rights, you know, as by, with some kind of, uh, you know, unlike a, you know, a a legal interpretation of the original document. Now they're driving the bus and the film rights were like a throw in with that. Yeah, and I think the gaming conversation is another one that we're going to have to spend some serious time on because in terms of adaptation, my word, are we, you know, creating incredible worlds after the different thing canon. But in terms of, like, business and, and platforms that hadn't existed, it's long since eclipsed the film industry and the music industry and everything else. The gaming industry is the biggest industry these days. And, yes. you know, you see something like Hogwarts Legacy smashing all of the records and just continuing to make people buy these new systems and buy these new consoles that haven't touched a console in years and it still just kind of shocks me because harry potter has not had a smooth couple of years and the subject matter that they chose is borderline controversial controversial Mm -hmm. And yet, I think the adaptation was really well done, and the gameplay is excellent, and the you know technology is incredible, and it brought people to it. So there's still this massive platform, yes. regardless of what's happening around it, and people that want to play it, whether they're massive fans or not. So all that's kind of convoluted, but to be like, of course this is going to be one more thing that people are going to want to grab onto. I find it really interesting that they're deciding to do some films first, I assume they're also developing games alongside and how that adaptation will speak to each other. Will they use the voice actors more? Because often they're different for game to film. Will Mm. they make sure that storylines cross over and you can get some behind the scenes content in the game that's also in their films? And Mm. I think all that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Absolutely. Mm. Um, And I, um, yes, uh, Tolkien study, you are correct in remembering that when uh, uh, War in the North came out, the Tolkien adaptation, um, I got hired. I was flown out to L.A. to be in a uh, a TV commercial, ended up only being on the Internet and not going on TV at all um, for the game. And I I did... um, I did get to meet Sean Astin and a couple other folks out there um, on that day. Uh, But um, yeah, yeah, it was, um, that was your, your, your memory is correct about that a long time ago, but you're right. Um, But um, anyway, yeah, there is, there are a bunch of new, oh, the commercials in the game. I didn't know that. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad they included that. That's fun. Um, uh, But um uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I um, yeah, we're supposed to get five games by the end of twenty twenty four. Yeah, and that's man. Uh, so I did a third panel at ZenkaiCon about video game adaptation, and I talked about Lotro and um and a few things um about the game. I'm still not supposed to talk about much. Um, but um, the uh, but yeah, it, it's and the thing that I. There's so many things that I love about video game adaptation and, you know, 
so the biggest sort of um, I was having a really interesting um, conversation at Sunshine Moot down in Orlando two weeks ago um, with uh, one of our attendees who works at um, the Orlando uh, Orlando works at the Universal Park down in Orlando um, and he was talking about the um, he was talking about the the kind of adaptation that is required when making theme park rides and even just like theme parks themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And he was talking about even like small things that people generally don't think about. Like for instance, when you have to take a two dimensional cartoon character and make it into a three dimensional thing. Right. Um, or when you take a scene, like a known scene, like a, you know, a familiar room or something like that, uh, from a movie or from a cartoon, and then you have to make it into a three-dimensional space that people can walk around and look behind things and stuff like that. It now there's this there's so even just when you're doing like a static thing like that, there's a lot of adaptation decisions that have to go into into doing that. And I was reflecting when I was kind of cruising around uh, Minas Tirith and um, Rohan and a couple other places in the game during my panel at ZenkaiCon um, that of course uh, video games very frequently are doing exactly that same kind of thing, right? Where you can get, um, you know, sort of the description, what is almost like a facade description, like let us look at Minas Tirith as Gandalf and Pippin are approaching it, right? And we get a lot. I mean, the description we get of Minas Tirith in that passage of The Lord of the Rings is actually some of the most detailed description we get of any location oh. in all of The Lord of the Rings. I mean, there's a lot that we get about Minas Tirith in that sequence. Um I would, that was the sequence I was on. Uh, I was talking about with um, Alan Sisto on the Prancing Pony podcast uh, a few months back, but um, but anyway, um, nevertheless, what you don't see is like you don't get to run around behind. You know, you don't get to go down an alley. You know, you don't get right. to. Um, you know, so you don't. Uh, Tolkien still has given a great a lot of detail, but he has not like made it into a three dimensional space, which you have to do in a video game, and that's only like the very first step, right? The very first yeah. step of adaptation of video game adaptation, um, and one of the things, um, uh, one of the things that then I find especially exciting about the video game environment is the opportunity for storytelling when you are in a necessarily collaborative relationship with the player, right? You know, the, the yeah. video games, unlike any other kind of medium, TV or film or any, or books, um, the, they're, they're, the, 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 the consumer is an active participant in making the story and determining how the story goes. And, and that is so many such steps. a fascinating thing. Yeah. I mean, like just the way somebody's brain has to work, there's so many different ways that this, that the player could choose to go. And obviously there's gameplay and we expect you to follow from A to B, but not every player by, plays by those rules. So being able to anticipate that and ensuring that every player gets a good story experience yes regardless of how they play the game. Yeah. Just, I, I love that idea. You know, my brain doesn't think that way. So all of a sudden it's mind mapping, like, how do you do this? And, exactly. you know, and, and building the infrastructure and stuff. And you know, we heard JD and Patrick talking about like, 
the real logistics of building rings of power like what's their religion what's their art what's their you know mm-hmm. the history of their clothing mm-hmm. and like all these things to just world build and you have to actually do that in a game and then physically build it <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah. yeah exactly so it's it's um anyway there, there's so many really interesting possibilities and i will be fascinated to see where um uh, where that goes, and especially how AI features into that in the future. Oh, mm-hmm. man, there's so many fascinating possibilities. Um, but um, I see We're some of you talking about... The, uh, yeah, Studio Lab team back in for some of that. <laughs> yes, for sure. They're playing with sure. AI guys, and they're having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we've been talking with them about some of that stuff. Um, I see some people talking about the Gollum game. I haven't played it. I've seen a demo of it. There are some things about it. One of the one of my other one of my pet peeves about video game adaptation is uh, there is this sort of genre presumption, right? Like. Can you have games without combat? It's hard. Like, not much. Like, there's so, like, that there should be fighting in games is, you know, I know that there are examples, but still, by and large, like, there is a presumption that there needs to be some kind of combat element in games uh, if it's going to be a major game. And, um, uh, I, it, this is one of the things that I, that I really liked about the Gollum game is that Gollum was, uh, the, the way they, so Gollum does not gain skills, like what he can do at the beginning of the game. Is, you know, it's not like you're leveling up Gollum and making a more and more more powerful Gollum over the course of the, uh, of the thing, nor right. is combat ever really an option, right? That is to say, like, in the, in the game, again, as I understand it, and I haven't played it yet, but I've seen it, um, uh, is that, you know, if you come across, if you come face to face with like two or more orcs, you die. Like you can't fight them. Uh, you can jump on them in the, from the behind and strangle individual orcs, uh, as Gollum does. Um, but in other words, so the game is all about like stealth and puzzle solving. Basically, it is not, uh, it, it, combat is not a primary mechanic in that game. And hey, like, I like that. Like, I, 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 I'm I'm a fan of a game that is like moving things in that direction. It is still one of the things um, that I. It is still one of the things that I dislike. Um, I mean, it's one. It's it's. There are not many things I dislike about Lotro. Lotro is a wonderful adaptation, but it's always been one of the things that I think is the, a major blemish in it. Is that they they you know they. They still do because, you know, they felt like they had to as part of the MMO thing, you know, the R- the MMORPG thing to have, you know, to be constantly sent out on go kill 10 bears quests, you know. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've, I, I think that if there were more of, if there were a greater percentage of the game, and there are many elements of the game which they, where they don't have just pure combat, but, um, uh, but still, it, it, I think that it's the, 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 the amount of time that you have to spend fighting in that game is still, in my opinion, a, a, a story blemish. It, it is one of the things that most persistently goes strikes against, just does not fit uh, with the world of Tolkien. Um, uh, but anyway, it's so, yeah, lots oh, of interesting. So I am glad part. I am glad that Gollum has is that one of these first new wave of um, 
I think it is the first of the new wave of uh, Tolkien adaptations we're getting in video games is like doing something different in that regard. That's I think that's cool. So um, I don't know. I did not get a sense from when I saw it about where exactly the storyline of the Gollum game goes. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I see many of you attempting to uh, bait me to talk about yeah. Uh, the the uh, shadows of Mordor, and I'm not <laughs> going to talk about the shadows of Mordor. Yeah, <laughs> but what? yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, we can. I'd have to. I'd have to like actually play it, but um, which I understand is very fun. Like you know, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I'm. Re I'm trying to remember. I think Tolkien study. I think the premise. I think it begins when you escape from being tortured in Mordor. I think that, if I'm remembering correctly, the chronological bounds of the of the game story for the Gollum game are you start um, you start when you escape from the torture room, and it ends with um, uh, I, I, it ends with him like going to Moria basically and finding the, mm. finding the I think I'm not. I don't remember. Even I, if it's not, I, I mean, that's like a it. really good example, though, of one of those storylines that would just make a great adaptation. Like, yeah. yep, that's just a thing we didn't get to see, but we know all the players and the world yeah. and the timeline. So let's yeah. let's see that. Makes yeah. Sense. yeah. 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 No, I'm pretty sure you're escaping Mordor at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, may I ask a really good question here? Um, how we plan to discuss genre in Tolkien adaptations? Um, <laughs> Sorry, hmm. I'm laughing at the rest of that. I would give my left leg from my Barbie for a horror movie in a Tolkien verse. <laughs> we haven't discussed this before. Yeah. I feel like genre is definitely a good thing for us to discuss just in general because any, I think any literary device is helpful to look at adaptation through that lens. That specifically, I think, is an interesting idea, like horror in Tolkien. There's certainly there's plenty a of, lot. There's plenty to work with there. For oh, horror there's plenty elements. to work with. Yeah. And the way it could be played, I feel like it would be jarring because it's so different from the style we've seen and would expect. So that might mess with, could it play in the same symphony? But that doesn't mean mm -hmm. it's wrong. I mean, think about all the different ways we've we've seen, you know, Little Red Riding Hood. Um, any kind of Grimm's fairy tale that easily spans horror and Disney. So you, right. you can play with that. Right. I can tell you're itching to say something. So. No, I, I, no, it's, it's, it is really interesting. I mean, and of course yeah. it raises the whole question. Uh, it does raise interesting questions about, okay, I got, let me back up. Genre. Genre is really interesting. I mean, it's a really interesting issue, right? Like what it's even, real big. yeah. What is that? One of my questions would be, what exactly does that mean to talk about like a horror story? Like, what is the horror genre? Like, what is the essence mm -hmm. of the horror genre? What makes something horror genre? Is it, is it about the kind of content, like the sort of things that happen and the sort of elements that the story is interested in, or is it a, is it more of a statement about um, how like 
how the plot resolves and the direction in which the plot goes, if you see what I mean. Um, uh, those are, so, I mean, one of the reasons that I'm asking that is I'm thinking about fantasy, right? Like, well, let's start with fantasy as a genre, right? Um, and Tolkien had some things to say about this kind of thing, right? Like, he mm -hmm. thought that, um, like, for fairy tales, for, you know, fantasy, which is sort of derived in large part from Tolkien's description of fairy stories in, you know, fairy tales in his, in his essay on fairy stories. Um, he thinks that things like the consolation of the happy ending are intrinsic to the genre. Like that's a, mm. that's an important element of the genre. And so in that way, it's not just about like, does like it can happen in a magical world, you know, where there are, fantastical creatures like elves or right. you know or magic that defines fantasy um so again it's it's like if you have a story like so say you were to tell a story that focused on the barrow doubts right barrow whites are pretty i mean the barrow the the certainly the encounter with the barrow whites and in particular frodo's time awake within the barrow is one of the most horror adjacent moments in the Lord of the Rings. I think everybody can agree with that, right? So let's say you were to do a video game or a show or a movie that really focused on like the rise of the Barrow Downs and the, um, you know, and, and like the Barrow Whites and stuff. Would that be, um, would it count as horror or would it have to have like, the sort of shape because there are, there is a similar sort of shape to horror movies right if you look at classic horror movies um yeah. you know you look at friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street and you know halloween and and other classic horror films um is there um is does would it for it to be in the horror genre would it have to like partake of that mode of storytelling? Is it about, like, wherein does the genre lie, is what I'm asking. You see what I mean? I mean, the range of, of horror, I mean, if, if you want to go back to Hitchcock and things like that, like, we can we can tell the same similar story of murder or anything along those lines in really different ways. So, yeah, how, how would this fit into that and which story are you going to tell? Because really tell anything in a different way i mean when you started saying bear downs i went straight to shalob like those are two very different topics and yep. both of them could work in a myriad of different formats so the answer i think is yes with genre you could do this but you gotta consider a lot of stuff if you just take a known story like lord of the rings and put the stamp of halloween h2o on it right that's like fixing for a fight right, right like right. if you're gonna well, do yeah. it it could be awesome but you gotta be clever about it you gotta be careful about it um yeah really smart about it yeah yeah and yeah. honestly this yeah. is <sighs> nope i was almost about to talk about shadows of mortar but i'm not gonna do it um uh <laughs> yeah no i 
but yes, this is just to say there's there's a, and and part of my problem in talking about the horror genre is that I don't feel that I understand it well enough. Like I I don't um I, I've never been a, a horror fan myself, Me and so I, I don't I don't feel like I really intrinsically get it from the inside enough to be able to talk about it and identify it. Um, but um, we could yeah. sorry finish. No, no. <laughs> We, we could spin it, you know? I mean, like, I feel like if you wanted to grab romance, yeah, we can we can find some pretty strong elements from Tolkien that we could tell a really good romance story. I would watch an entire film of Arwen and Aragorn. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, could there be a, like, a, like a, a Middle-earth rom-com? Sure. Yeah, could like, happen. imagine a meet-cute and, and a full-on comedy, you know? Like, we've got Mary and Pippin. Like, we have beautiful <laughs> moments of comedy that... Yes. It'd be yes. great to have that tone for the duration. And what would be the driving force? Like their search for a roast chicken? I don't know, but it'd be <laughs> awfully knows? fun. Who knows? Yeah. 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 Um, Phil, we could have Queen Baruthiel as a rom com, though I think she I, I I more likely for horror, frankly. But um yes, that's just what Edith was just saying. Yeah, exactly. I can more easily imagine a horror yeah. version of the story of Queen of the Cats of Queen Baruthiel. But um um yeah, yeah. Um, no, but I think... I feel yeah. like this is a little snippet of, like, can you imagine what a writer's table would be like in year one of the five-year development process for Rings of Power? Like, it wouldn't be far off from something like that. Right. Like, you would have a group of people around a table that understand story and writing and genre and hopefully Tolkien and yeah. hopefully fan expectation, you know, all these things. Right. Talking about ideas. So you probably did have some options on the table for Tolkien horror. We just didn't get to hear about them. Yeah. Yeah. No. And well, and actually one thing that we did hear is that, um, one of the writer, one of the writers team, um, uh, of, uh, the rings, and I'm blanking on her name, uh, Chang, is it? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting her name. One of the writers it. group, um, uh, uh, Patrick was telling me he was like she she is she does a lot of horror um uh has a has a long background in horror and 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 Patrick mentioned her and said you know because I, I mentioned that I just met her the day before uh in San Diego and he was like oh man he was like <laughs> he was like the storylines <laughs> the dark storylines that that woman comes up with holy cow <laughs> um but um yeah yeah so I mean there's actually like so don't be surprised oh. if you see some horror elements in Rings of Power you know increasingly I mean there are already some there that you can see but doesn't that make sense to have somebody that's that has that in their brain around the table? Because when you're talking about the darkness of Adar and things like yep. that, and and yep. the core pain and manipulation, and ooh, you know, you, yep. you kind of need that to come from a dark place. But you don't want the whole show to be like that, so you balance it out with other people. Yeah, yeah. No, there are um, uh, there are a lot of really um, yeah really fascinating but again it's it is it is the breadth of possibilities with all of this stuff that i find um is why i am glad for 
the like the breaking open of parameters, right? Why I'm glad we're not yeah. just getting like an occasional feature film on Tolkien, you know, every ten years or whatever. Um, yeah. You know, like let's do the Lord of the Rings and let's wait another twenty five years and then do a reboot of the Lord of the Rings. Like I'm, this is so much better, so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, anyway, so yeah, I'm I'm I'm. Uh, I'm here for all this stuff, the video game stuff, the, the, uh, yeah. CSI um, Ministerius, that got me. Like, can you imagine crime CSI solving? CSI <laughs> yeah. Like law and order, bum bum, Ministerius style. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I mean, but yeah. now you're talking the realm of parody too. Like parody is a wonderful oh. Oh, genre. Oh man. It's the, it's the best. So if you could get like a Christopher Guest style mockumentary about like, a day in the life of Pippin and Gandalf. <laughs> I would love a good Tolkien parody. I would love a good Tolkien yeah. parody. I mean, there's only been one Tolkien parody ever, which is Board of the Rings. And it's bad. Board yeah. of the Rings is a bad yeah. parody. Like, I, I, I am disappointed. There are good elements. I'm not saying it's bad all the way through. You um, like the analysis, however, yeah, I am so disappointed i've always been so disappointed by board of the rings not because i'm like oh how dare you make fun of um uh how dare you make uh how dare you make fun of this no it's bad in what it is it does what it is trying to do badly is what i'm saying uh phil yeah um, bad on purpose is one thing like you're trying to to be a poor story but you can do that really smartly and come off yeah. well and clever and it didn't yeah, and it's not even that just that it's dated. Like it just the jokes that it makes are um are really cheap, uh really yeah. superficial, um often really thoughtless. Um they have like one well, gag. You know, it's it's just like okay, like yes, like you know, travesty is kind of funny, but um uh and I mean travesty in its technical Grammatical terms, not uh, uh, as the word is used as an insult. Um, but um, but no, I no, Phil. I mean, I, I get as Harvard Lampoon. It was bad. Like I, I, I'm just saying, like what they were trying to do, they did badly. Um, and I've never forgiven them for it because it's the only one that's ever been done, and it could be so much better. Um, but um, uh, anyway, I, I. Um, Man, I once heard a conference presentation from somebody who had done a study of the patterns of translation of Board of the Rings into other languages. That was a really Whoa. fascinating linguistic look at translation choices because it was looking at how, yeah. because so many of the jokes in Board of the Rings are just based on um, uh, like really simple puns. From names and okay. so how you tried to render that in uh, in a different language it was like like did an intensive uh, look at I think it was the Polish translation of Board of the Rings it was wow. it was a it was a really really fascinating paper but I was like whoa um, well it didn't make the film any better but that's a fascinating investigation yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Cool. no exactly it doesn't make the yeah the, the book is still bad but anyway um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting question, really interesting in like translation theory and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, 
so yes, parody. Oh yes, like I am ready, and I know a l- many people will not be ready. <laughs> many people are are you know will not. If there were a fully parodic film of the Lord of the Rings that were produced, or t- or parodic TV show, people would 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 lose it. I mean, look at Marvel people losing their stuff yeah. about like uh you know the She Hulk and uh and things like that. Like I you know. Um, but, um, uh, well, even just like the yeah. little bits, I was thinking about Marvel with, um, Loki, where they have the, in a couple of Thors, where they have the play within the play where Matt Damon yes. plays Loki and the other Hemsworth plays Thor and it's <laughs> yes. just so lovely, you know, like it's a nice little nod, but we're going to make fun of it, but we're going to do it real well, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. Tolkien study. I actually really liked She Hulk too. I, I, I was that. I, I thought like it, there were a lot of really interesting things going on in She Hulk. Um, but um, anyway, yeah. So we'll, it, it, who knows? But I would, um, yeah. I, I would love to see more Tolkien parody. Um, I think that that is a. Um, it is because of like the both. The combination of like the greatness of Tolkien and the high register of Tolkien just make it like it asks for like really cool and interesting parody. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, please. That's that's a clever comedian. You know, there's loads of them, but like how to play something, but level it up. Mm-hmm. We're going to take all the best bits, sharpen it, great cast, mess with the expectations, mess with the, the known platforms, and just give you something really fresh. I don't know. I think he's genius at what he does. Yeah. Even during pandemic, did you watch any of his, um, the reading, I think it was James and the Giant Peach, Mm-mm. where he was reading chapter by chapter James and the Giant Peach, and he enlisted loads of Academy Award winning actors to read. This was all on Zoom because it was the pandemic. But he would pull out like a gallon jug of water and make sound effects on the side of it, but look totally deadpan straight face. So even just like the slow performance of an at-home reading became this incredible feat of adaptation from a book to participation um, just by utilizing simple techniques around him. So give the guy a budget and a team and you get something really lovely. This is Taika Waititi. He directed a couple of the Thor's um, and he plays the big rock guy in Ragnarok as well. Uh, I can't remember his name, the character's name. Oh, he's the he's the the rock guy. Not, yeah, he's the rock guy. Okay. Yes. Cool. What's the rock guy's name with the little bug slug? Cool. I I mean, mm. and on the on the I mean, on the subject of parody, I I I, I laughed so hard at the opening sequence of uh, Thor: Love and Love and Thunder. Like. That was yeah. hilarious. That was just yeah. hilarious. I absolutely Korg. love that. It was Korg. Um, yeah, Korg. Exactly. Um, and Phil, What We Do in the Shadows, absolutely. He's the original behind that. And that's a fantastic program, if, if you guys aren't familiar with it. And that has a couple of different remediations, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good one to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's uh, no, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of stuff there. So. I don't know Lord of the Beans. That's a new Lord one. of the Beans. Oh, yeah, it's from Veggie Tales. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. Ah. Um. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. 
I, I was a little plus minus on it, I have to say. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, um, anyway. I, okay, well, clearly so, we have things to say about genre. Clearly so we have things to say we'll, about genre. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep bringing that up, I suppose. Yeah, it would be interesting. Can we think of... What are some examples? What is, are there any examples of adaptations with like adaptations of the same work that have like been deliberately shooting for very different genres like the like the kind of thing we're talking about like a you know like a a rom-com adaptation from this world and a horror adaptation from this world that kind of has anyone done something like that the same team i can't think of anything like that i mean you definitely have like horror little red riding hood alongside pixar little red riding hood type vibes but not the same team yeah no i'm not necessarily the same team um jan suggests robin hood tolkien study suggests alice shakespeare yeah but with shakespeare it's a little the the reason i say it's the, the reason i would sort of discount shakespeare is that well no i, I don't want to totally discount peter, shakespeare peter pan do you remember that movie a couple of years ago just called pan um the trailer Vaguely. was beautiful Didn't see and it. yeah I, I ended up buying it because the trailer was so beautiful and i thought it was going to be this indie rendition and it was really borderline horror it was rough to watch now i can't remember all the specific ones right but it's not what it says on the tin you know so <laughs> you had a rough Pan adaptation alongside a Disney one. Um, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Versions, Interesting. Version. I'm just wondering if there might be something that we could we could do a discussion on to look at ways mm-hmm. in which people are playing with genre. I mean, certainly with Robin Hood, you get like the Robin Hood Men in Tights as a parody, right? But and that one's complicated yeah. because it's primarily a parody of the film adaptation of you know the particular yeah. film adaptation. Of Robin Hood, um, uh, um, about it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Dracula. So, Jan Dracula um, uh, has, of course, been adapted many times and in many different ways. But I, I don't get the sense that there's like a complete different like. That they're, I mean, you could say that the Francis Ford Coppola is kind of trying to make Dracula into a, you know, a romance film instead of mm. horror, but it's not really like leaving horror behind uh, exactly. I mean, it's adding a romantic plot that was not in the original. Um, Tolkien study Dracula 2000 is one of my favorite Dracula adaptations. I don't care what anybody says. That is one of my favorite Dracula adaptations. Love that. But again, I don't think it's a genre difference. Exactly. I don't think that's exactly, um, it. And, and yes, there have been parodies. And so in parody, but parody is almost to me a different thing. Like it's, um, yes, parody is technically a different genre, but it's, in my mind, a, a little bit it's, of a bad data point, you know? It's doing, there's a fundamental... It's kind of an on-purpose yeah. different. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Brothers Grimm stuff is the one I can most clearly see, because it, mm-hmm. it just lends so easily to happy, light, Disney fairy tale, or really terrifying horror. 
Yeah. 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 I don't know. Oh, that. by the way, I would like to adapt to adopt officially. Um, uh, I, I, my, my favorite terminal, if you were talking about like a Tolkien or Middle Earth cinematic universe, I really like uh, Matt Nerd of the Rings uh, nomenclature where he calls it like the Middle Earth cinematic universe. Where he calls it me see you. I really like me see you. Is, oh, uh, I like is, that. Is, me is, see is a really you. fun. Uh, is a really fun thing. So yeah, yeah. Oh, let's um, let's let's take that and run with it. The me see you. Will help I think you spread that a, word. Yeah. Yeah. The exactly. me see you. That's 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 yeah. my 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 preferred terminology for this for this uh, this this effect. Um, but um, yeah. Uh, I think that would be an interesting conversation to have too about creative teams behind these things. Because when you see something like Marvel or Star Wars, it's John Favreau behind both of those, right? Or heavily involved in both of those. So you—he's not alone. He's not the singular creative voice. But there's definitely like this thread of vision that seems to lend itself across those adaptations. And that I think that's always been one of the failings with. DC doesn't have that kind of singular vision, visionary mm-hmm. driving it. So mm-hmm. can you have a MCU without a JD and a Patrick type character? Can it be lots of different voices from lots of different companies and lots of different rights, you know, from these two pots that currently have the rights making different kind of stuff? Or do right. they all have to work together under a single vision? Right. Well, because, I mean, to one extent, of course, we can't forget that all of the things, all the films and all the shows will all have the Tolkien estate behind them. Right. Um, Like they will all still have to get approval on their stuff from the Tolkien estate. But the Tolkien estate isn't guiding them. Right. I mean, it's not. The Tolkien estate is not a showrunner. No, exactly. Exactly. Um, They're more like a librarian. (laughs) Right. Fact checking permissions. Right. Tolkien study, I see you goading me there. And don't think I am going to rise to such a low blow. Um, but, and by say? the way, we had an Amherst, Massachusetts moot. We were there. We were totally there. We had a moot in the Amherst, Massachusetts public library um, meeting room. Uh, it was our first New England moot, like a couple years back. Um, but um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, uh, yeah, so... Um, um, The um, uh, it is I, people were mentioning Sherlock Holmes as another example of uh, a mm. multi-genre adaptation, and that's especially if you include th- well, so especially if you include things like um, uh. Well, it's more of a spin-off than an adaptation. Like the uh the, the Enola Holmes. Arthurian stuff for sure. Arthurian stuff for sure. But that but it's not an okay, adaptation. I'm going back to Sherlock. Yeah. Going Every to Sherlock. Sherlock one I can think of would be I'm going I'm dating myself here too. Would most likely be on the same shelf at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like you can retell a story in different ways. Modern retellings, musical retellings, whatever, but I mean, maybe the music would be found under the musical, but most of them are going to be drama, action, adventure, all filed together, no matter how the story is told. Right. Anola Holmes would be in the same section. The Robert Downey Jr. ones would be in the same section. The BBC Sherlock would be in the same section. Right. So that isn't quite as clear yes. in my mind. 
yeah. Arthurian, totally. You've got Disney children's versus, I guess, the historical one versus romance versus action. Oh, there's even an argument there that most of those would be fouled into the same thing. Like when you say Disney versus action, that's more of an age denomination, not necessarily a content denomination. Right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. But no, I think, uh, would you say that like, um, let's say Excalibur, Camelot, you know, the musical, the old musical, mm. And, you know, the um, Kira Knightley uh, as Guinevere uh, mm-hmm. when around the year 2000 would be in different genres. Like, I, I think maybe. I think maybe. I think maybe you, and m- maybe you put Excalibur in there. And the, right, right, yeah. Um, but I think Camelot would be in a different genre. I think Camelot would be a different genre because it's a musical. Like, that is a different yeah. genre. You're right. Yeah. Like, but that's almost like parody. Like, it's purposely different well, but it's not comedy camelot isn't comedy it's not comedy um and so except not... at the golden globes it's in the same category as comedy right right tough lines man tough lines it is it is so like, a lot of this is also like defining expectations isn't it yeah what but sets I think those lines one... between some of these genres one of the things that we're looking, one of the things that we're seeing here, one of the things that we're looking at um, in these other examples that we're trying to point to of other, other, you know, kind of intellectual properties to use, unfortunately, the legal term, like th- these other, these other institutions, right? Um, I think the problem is they haven't had the opportunities, right? I mean, like Arthurian films, you can get, you know, there have been dozens of Arthurian films. And they'll take different directions and they'll look at different angles and they'll focus on different characters and they'll be interested in different things. But at the end of the day, you know, they're, um, um, uh, they're all, um, uh, they're all going through and they're, they're just like film adaptation, like different feature film adaptations going after sort of the same, the same story, but from a different angle right which is not the same kind of thing like they didn't have the circumstance like you were describing with like what disney's doing with star wars what you know marvel has been doing um all of these other uh all of these other kinds of issues right um and that sorry no 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 so there hasn't been like diversity elaboration possibilities there and that just makes you think about platform again. Like, exactly. Because we have all these this diverse place where these stories can be told, now we get to think differently. Because for the last 50-odd years, it's been 90 to 120 minutes. This is what a pitch should look like. You know, here's your 30-second, your two-minute, your whatever, and here's exactly how it's going to fit into this, and here's how it's going to make money, and here's the films that have been successful that it's like that I can help you define it by. A lot of that's kind of out the window. Like, you still yeah. kind of have those expectations, yeah. but you could bring so many different things to the table now and be like, you know, I think about Love and Robots on Netflix. It's like a maybe a 10-parter, 12-parter animated series on Netflix. And the films are short films, and they range from maybe 5 to 10 minutes. Um, and they're so different from each other, but somehow they tie together that I can't imagine what the pitch of that looked like. Like, how did you tell Netflix what you were going to do 
Right. And how did you convince right. them that you were going to pull it off the way that you did? Because right. it's right. so unique. Right. It's such a neat way to tell a story. And some of them are animated, you know, crayon on paper. And some of them are 3D, really high-end animation. So, yeah, I think that's just a really interesting yeah. visual of what yeah. we can do now. Yeah, agreed. It is, um, it is, there are fascinating differences and i i, I and the technology is so much more accessible now mm -hmm. people can make these things in their homes they don't need mm -hmm. to have these massive animation studios yeah yeah absolutely absolutely no this is one of the things this is why um i admit like i have been a big fan of the marvel stuff first and foremost because they were one of the first people to begin to sort of <laughs> break the box you know and say let's let's think about storytelling and you know like film storytelling in different ways let's let's um you know not instead of just having like a either an ongoing tv show or a mini series or a movie like those were like the categories right be like no let's let's stretch these categories let's think about these in different ways let's let's push beyond that box and i've always admired them uh for doing that and i'm you know i'm sure i'm sure there are other people who are thinking in other ways that i don't know about too um i you know and i may be giving them too much credit but it was certainly the first one that ever came to my attention and i think that the um uh the stuff that is happening now creates so many fascinating opportunities um well, we've taken all of our time <laughs> talking, but this was, a, this was right an interesting before, discussion. Right before we started this, we we're like, all right, so we'll Eric Gordon, we bring in some Boromir, and Corey's like, oh, I've just got a quick thing to say. And I'm like, okay, there's our okay. show. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I love that, though, because this is such an organic space for us to kind of muse on these things. And yes. I think all of it's so new with the platforms and the way that we're thinking. And so much comes out every week on these different platforms that my brain is blown every week being like, wow, that's how you can tell a story. Right. Oh yeah. So I, I love that we're kind of in this world where we have these different people telling different stories in different ways. Yeah. And it started with the conversation about who bought the rights. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it is, it is a neat time to be thinking about adaptation um, as we are watching people break new ground and, and think in new ways. And, you know, so a wonderful time for us to be thinking about what are the ways that these things relate to the original text and how is the best and most productive way to be thinking about that. Anyway, gotta, yeah. gotta let everybody go. Thanks for the fun conversation today. We will come back to talk about uh, the uh, the Peter Jackson adaptation more. We'll come back maybe next week. We'll have the conversation we plan to have this week. Um, no promises. We'll, we'll see, see what, what comes happens. up. But, you know, <laughs> thanks, gang. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We will see you guys next week. Bye now. Bye.